let's open our Bibles now to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of his butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued the season in in ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, And behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph, and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head, and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand, after the former manner, when thou wast his butler. And think on me, when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. And make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing, that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there was all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days... Shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. We'll end our reading there. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we bow again before your awesome throne of grace, seeking thy blessing upon our service this morning. 
Father, how I beg of thee that you send your spirit upon us and give us a true worship service. Don't let us just go through the motions of religion, having the right form and ceremony. But Father, make this a worship service. For by your spirit and by your power that you speak to our hearts, that you enable us for this time to truly worship thee, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, I beg of you that you cause the gospel of your dear son to run well this morning, that you would enable me to rightly divide the word of truth. What man is sufficient for these things? Father, I pray you not let your people suffer because of the weakness of the vessel, that you not let your glorious name suffer because of the weakness of the vessel. But Father, enable me in the power of thy spirit to preach Christ and him crucified in clear and simple terms. And Father, I pray you'd be with each one who's here this morning, that you'd enable us to hear and believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have everlasting life. Father, I pray you'd show us your glory this morning the glory, your redemptive glory in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this time we have to observe your table and to remember the sacrifice of Christ our Lord, how willingly and freely he gave himself to redeem his people from all of their sins. Father, cause us to remember and joy in him. Now, Father, this great blessing we ask in the name of, for the glory of, Christ our Savior. It's in his name, for his sake we pray. Amen. All right, now hold your place there in Genesis chapter 40. We'll come right back there. and Turn over to Luke chapter 2, if you would. I've named or titled the, the message this morning, Christ the Revealer. In Luke chapter 2, this is when Mary and Joseph bring the, the child Jesus on the eighth day to be circumcised. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 25. And behold there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost. That he should not see death. Before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul as well. And the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, Simeon prophesied that the hearts of men are going to be revealed. The secrets of the heart, what's in the heart of men, is going to be revealed 
by this baby, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his prophecy is true. And it is Christ the Savior who reveals the hearts of all men. When we hear Christ preach, that it reveals what's in our hearts. This matter of sin. It's a nature of sin. And it's found in the heart. In the heart. And Christ reveals that. Sin is not so much externally, but sin is in the heart. The nature of sin, the fountain of sin is in the heart. And this thing of salvation, that's something that's done in the heart. It's not an external thing, you know, walking an aisle, making some, some public profession. Although a person will make a public profession if God saved him, but it's not salvation, external thing. It's in the heart. It's a work that God does in the heart. And the sin that's in our heart is revealed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sin is revealed by our refusal to believe on Christ. By nature, that's all of us. By nature, we refuse to believe on Christ. We refuse to trust Christ alone. We insist on having our own works added to it, don't we? And the faith that God the Holy Spirit puts in his heart, in the hearts of his people, that's revealed by Christ too. It's revealed, what's in the heart is revealed when God's people believe him. They hear him preach and they believe him because God's put faith in their, in their hearts. And that faith can only be seen by trusting Christ, trusting him to do all the saving for us. It's him who reveals our sin and it's him that reveals the faith that he's put in our hearts. He's the revealer of hearts. Well, Joseph is a type of Christ. In how that he is the revealer of secrets. The revealer of dreams. Joseph revealed what was in his father's heart, didn't he? Joseph revealed the love that was in his father's heart. It was easy for everybody to see. Joseph is the favorite son. What? Jacob loved him the most. Jo- Joseph revealed the hatred that was in his brother's hearts. It was easy to see his brothers hated him. Look how they treated him. Threw him in a pit without water. Took his coat from him. Sold him into slavery. He revealed the the hatred that was in their hearts. Joseph was the revealer of the future. Remember he had those dreams and he told his dreams to to his family. He was the revealer of the future. They're all going to come bow down to him. And Joseph is the revealer of dreams. When he interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker, he actually revealed by interpreting these dreams. Joseph is the revealer of the gospel. The gospel of Christ. I want to show you that this morning. I have three points to show you these are the things that Christ reveals to his people. The number one is this. Christ reveals the secret of our sin. Back in Genesis 40 verse 1. It came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of his butlers, and against the chief of his bakers. Now the butler and the baker, they knew why they were in prison. They knew what they did wrong. They didn't need Joseph to reveal that to them. They knew what they'd done to offend Pharaoh. But you and I, we need Christ to reveal our sin to us. It has to be revealed. We're spiritually blind, so we can't see our sin. The only way we can see our sin is by seeing Christ, by seeing Him 
in contrast to us. Only then do we see how sinful we are. The Lord, as He hung physically helpless on Calvary's tree, He revealed that thief's sin to Him, didn't He? This, that, that thief said, we're getting what we deserve. We're getting what we, this man done nothing amiss. He knew his sin by seeing that man who had done nothing amiss. He knew it by seeing Christ. Wednesday evening, Gene Patterson and I were talking. Gene made a great statement. He said, I didn't even know I was a sinner until I heard the gospel. He said, I was dating this girl, Amy. She brought me to hear the, the gospel. He said, the first time I ever found out I was a sinner. That's the way we are in it. We don't know our sin until we hear the gospel. We're like Gene. Gene said, I thought I was all right. Until I heard the gospel and found out I'm in trouble. Christ is the revealer of our sin. You know, we all think we're all right until we really hear the gospel. Sadly, we can grow up under the sound of the gospel and still think we're all right until God makes us hear it in the heart. Then we, then we know our sin. We don't have any idea what sin really is until we see Christ. Job thought he was a pretty righteous fellow, didn't he? Until he saw Christ. After he saw Christ, that's when Job said, I abhor myself, but not before. Peter, he was pretty impressed with himself, wasn't he? Until he saw the glory of Christ. Then Peter said, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit ever reveals Christ to us, that's when we'll see our sin. And i tell you how we're going to see our sin. We're going to see. Sin is not what we do out there in the world. I told somebody recently, I grew up utterly afraid of honky-tonks. I didn't know what a honky-tonk was, but Henry said, sin's not out there in the honky-tonks. And all, you know, I didn't know what that was, but that's a bad place, you know. Well, sin's not out there in the bars and the honky-tonks and the places. It's in the heart. And you know when we'll see that? When we see Christ and I find out I've been trusting myself instead of trusting Him. That's when I find out what sin is. That's when the Lord reveals Christ to me. That's when I'm going to know I'm the sinner. I'm going to quit believing in total depravity and I'm going to start believing I'm totally depraved. And here's the way I know that. I can't believe Christ and I won't believe Him by nature. That's how I'm going to know I'm a sinner. My sin is revealed by seeing Christ. Number two, Christ reveals the secret of God's undeserved election of a people. The butler and the baker, they both had dreams, didn't they? One was a good outcome. One was an unpleasant outcome. But both of those outcomes were determined beforehand by the will of God. See, God gave them those dreams to, to tell them what God was, was planning to do. This has already been determined by the will of God. One of them's going to live. One of them's going to be put to death. That's election. That's what election is. God chooses to be merciful to one. They don't deserve it, but God chooses to be merciful to them. And God lets the other have what they want. God lets them go there, just leaves them alone, leaves them to God's justice. That's what election is. 
Now I'm telling you, it is utterly impossible for us to preach the gospel or to believe the gospel until we preach and believe God's electing love. Because that's where the gospel begins. The good news of the gospel begins with God's electing love. God chose a people that don't deserve it. And if God didn't choose us first, I promise you this, we'd never choose him. He had to choose us first. God's electing love. Here's how important you think, well, you know, is, it, is this is this truth of election really? I mean, men hate it so much. Is, is it worth just picking a fight and preaching it right off the bat? Would everybody agree here that the Lord Jesus is the prince of preachers? If anybody could ever preach, it's him, wouldn't you say? The subject of his very first public message was God's electing love. That's how important this this thing is. Salvation is up to the one who's in charge. Salvation is up to the will, the one who's in charge. Who's in charge? Me or God? What a dumb question. God is. God is. Look at verse 3. And Pharaoh, he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. And he served them, and they continued to ward in a season. Now, Joseph is a prisoner, but this he's the man in charge. He's in charge of this place. What a good picture of Christ that is. There's so many examples of the man Jesus appearing to be a common, ordinary, weak, uneducated man, yet this man's in charge of everything. He's in charge of the wind and the waves. He's in charge of germs and sickness. He's in charge of life and death. Somebody can be dead. He can tell them, get up, and they do. This man's in charge. When he stood in chains before Pilate, I mean, here, here's Pilate in his finery, the, the ruler of this place. Here's this man, Jesus, who's been beaten half to death and his face all swollen and back lacerated and standing there in chains. Who's in charge? Not Pilate. Pilate tried to let him go. Lord wouldn't have it because he's determined to suffer and die for his people. Even when he was nailed to a cross, he's in charge, wasn't he? He passed one of those things by and gave eternal life to the other one. Told him, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Here's another good picture of Christ. Look at verse 5. They dreamed a dream, both of them. Each man his dream in one night. Each man, according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them. And behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We've dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. I'll tell you, we have a high priest. Joseph is a picture of Christ. We have a high priest who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I love how Joseph came in and cared that these two men look sad today. I mean, that kind of shamed me, thinking about it. If I was in prison for a crime that I didn't commit, I can promise you this, I'm not going to care how anybody else looks. Joseph did. He cared these men looked sad that day. 
He wasn't bitter because he's a picture of Christ who endured and suffered everything he suffered willingly. He wasn't bitter about it because it's his will happening. It's his will that he suffer and die for the sins of his people because he loved those people. And he revealed God's electing love, his electing love of a sinful people. Every son of Adam deserves to be damned. But God's going to save somebody. He's going to save somebody because he chose to. Now here's the main point. Here's how what Christ reveals. He reveals the secret that salvation is by God's grace, not our works of the law. And the interpretation of these two, two dreams tells us salvation is by God's grace, not our works. Let me show you that. Verse 9. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee. Show kindness, I pray thee, unto me and make mention of me unto Pharaoh and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream. And behold, I had three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket, there was all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh and the birds that eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. Now the key to understanding the spiritual meaning of these two dreams and the interpretation of it is within three days, Pharaoh will lift up thine head. He used that phrase to the butler in three days, Pharaoh will lift up thy head, and he used it to the baker. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up thine head. And that phrase, lift up thine head, means to reckon. It means to reckon. Now the word reckon has quite a few different meanings. You know, we use the word, at least I do, to, to mean, well, I guess, I guess so. Jan asked me, you know, something true. I said, well, I reckon. Our Lord never uses that term because he never guesses. He never supposes. He declares what's so. He doesn't use the word reckon like we do. The word reckon also means to include in a particular group. You know, a person is reckoned to be a genius because they're so much smarter than all the rest of us. Paul uses that word in Romans 6, verse 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can reckon yourself to be in that group that's dead to sin and alive to God if Christ has died for you. If he's given you faith in him, you can reckon yourself to be dead to sin 
and alive to God. You count yourself in that group. Then reckon is also a mathematical term. It means to calculate the right answer. There's no guessing here. It's to calculate the right answer. Paul uses that word in Romans 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul did a mathematical equation. He set up two sides of the ledger and he compared them. And it was obvious. The sufferings of this present time, they're much less than the glory which shall be revealed in us. They're much less than the glory of Christ. That wasn't a guess. That was an exact calculation. Now the salvation of a sinner hangs on this word reckon. Reckon. God reckons his people to be righteous because they are righteous. He reckons them to be righteous because that's what God made them. He made them to be righteous. God reckons his people. Now he chose them. They're, they're sinful, vile people. They've never done one, one good thing. But he reckons his people to be holy because they are holy. God does not, when he says, well, I reckon my people, I count my people to be holy. It's not like I know they're unholy, but I'm pretending like they're holy. No, he reckons them to be holy because they are. They are holy. Christ made them holy. Let me show you that in Romans chapter 4. He made them holy. I and mean, when God reckons his people to be righteous, he reckons them to be righteous by his grace, not our works. Romans 4, verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Right? If you work and you get a reward, it's because... Somebody, it's a debt. Somebody owes it to you. If you work, it's not grace. It's, it's, a, it's a debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, unless you just insist on believing what you've always believed in your blindness and believing what you've always believed because you heard it from a false prophet, you can't mistake what Paul's saying there. Righteousness comes by faith in Christ, by trusting Christ, not by our works. Christ made his people righteous. Our works can never make us righteous. Being made righteous, that's the gift of God's grace. Look at verse 8 in that same chapter. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now you and I are sinners. All we've ever done is sin. Every action, every thought, every motive, everything is sin. Well, how can God not impute sin to us? You impute is, a, is an accounting term. You impute what is actually there. You impute what's actually there. It's not like, well, nothing's there. You know, there's, no, there's no righteousness and God imputes. That doesn't mean God puts righteousness there. That's not what imputes means. Imputes mean God's count somebody to be righteous because that's what's already there. Well, how can God not impute sin to the sinner? Huh? The only way God could not charge you and me with our sin and remain holy and remain just is if he charged Christ with our sin. If Christ has made sin for his people at Calvary, the Father imputed. He reckoned Christ to be sin because the Father had made him sin. 
He made him sin for his people. And then the father slaughtered his son. He slaughtered him in justice so that he could be merciful to his people in justice. He punished Christ so he didn't have to punish his people. Now, whoever God did that for, they're blessed, aren't they? They're blessed. The father took the sin of a man away from him and put it on Christ. Took the righteousness of Christ and put it on him. That man's blessed. That man's blessed of God. That's an undeserved gift of God's grace. Now read on, verse 9. It has to be by grace. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, upon the Jews, or upon the uncircumcision also, the Gentiles? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Well, how was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Abraham was circumcised as a seal of that covenant, but faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness long before he was circumcised. That's what Paul's saying there. So he's not righteous because he went through that ceremony of circumcision. He's made righteous by faith. By faith in Christ, he believed God. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, being yet uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, even though they haven't done that work, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but it's through the righteousness of faith. Now this is what I said a minute ago. The salvation of a sinner hangs on this word reckoned. God reckons his people to be righteous. Because that's what Christ made them. He made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ, the, the, God the Father took the sin of his people and made it Christ. He was made sin. And then he takes the righteousness of Christ and gives it to his people. Makes them righteous. Now that's a gift of grace. It's received by faith. It's not earned by our works. It's received by faith. The promise was not made through the law but through the righteousness of faith. Now that's what's pictured back in our text in Genesis chapter 40. In his dream, the butler had a cup of wine. Now that cup or that cup of, of the grapes, that represents the blood of Christ. The butler had the fruit of the vine, the fruit of the true vine. The Lord Jesus Christ, who's the vine, were the branches. That's what the butler had. He had what represented Christ, What everything he had came from Christ. is the fruit of the vine. The butler had a basket of baked meats. And baked meats, are just, that's the works of the baker. That's what the baker made in his, in his kitchen. That represents man's works. Now here's what I'm sure is true about these baked meats. They're the best you could find. I mean, they're the best you could find. This man's Pharaoh's baker. Pharaoh didn't get the guy that graduated in the middle of the class from culinary school. He got the top guy. I mean, this guy, oh, what a baker he was. The stuff he made tasted so good. But it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. That's a picture of our works. 
Oh, you might think you've produced works that impress other men, huh? But they're not good enough. They're not good enough to impress God. They're not good enough that God will accept them. If God's going to accept them, they got to be perfect. Perfect. Now, surely nobody here thinks their works are perfect. I mean, all of us would say, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. I'm not perfect, but I'm better than old so-and-so down there. It must be perfect to be accepted. The butler, he's a picture of salvation in Christ. By the obedience of Christ. By the blood of Christ's sacrifice. Sinners are saved by grace. Because Christ died for them, even though they don't deserve it. That's grace. Christ died for them. I hope we never become so over-familiar with the gospel that these things don't cease to amaze us. In order for God to be gracious to his people, Christ died for them. He was made sin. He was separated from his father. He endured his father's wrath and was slaughtered. Why? Because he loved people like you and me. So that God could be gracious to us. The sacrifice of Christ made God's elect to be righteous. So God is right. The the mathematical calculation is, is accurate. He reckons them to be righteous. Because they are. That's what Christ made them. The baker, he represents salvation by man's works. Now listen. God will meet you on the ground that you want to come to him on. He sure will. If you'll come to him seeking his grace, you wouldn't come to him on any other grounds than the unmerited, unearned, undeserved grace of God that's found in Christ Jesus. You come to him as a guilty Mercy beggar just pleading for nothing but pure mercy from God. God will meet you on that ground. And if you insist on coming to God in your own works, and probably most people aren't aren't so foolish that they'd want to come exclusively in their own works. Most people will say this, I want to come, come to God in Christ plus what I do. I've done some good things, I'll let Christ finish it up. If you want to come to God on that that ground, on those merits, God will meet you there. He'll meet you there. And you'll be condemned. That's a fact. The baker represents salvation by man's works. He had those wonderful baked meats. God wouldn't accept them. The birds. they're, They're just bird food. Bird seed, that's all they are. See, salvation all hinges on God's reckoning. We're either what we are, we're made in Adam or what we're made in Christ. It's God's reckoning. Now, shockingly, shockingly, when Joseph's interpretation of these dreams came true, the baker plumb forgot him. Or the butler, excuse me, the butler plumb forgot him. Look at verse 20. And it came to pass after the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler again unto his butlership again. And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now when I began studying this last week, I was preparing it for, for Wednesday night. And I got to that last verse. 
And that's what made me want to save it till today and observe the Lord's table together this morning. After what Joseph did for that butler, he gave him such hope. <laughs> he just plumb forgot him. You would think after the Lord does something so wonderful for us, I mean the likes of us, that he would be made sin for us. That he'd suffer and die for our sin. That he'd put us in a place where he'd call us by his gospel and enable us to believe it. Enable us to see Christ. A blind, blind person thinks that's foolishness, but you see Christ. He, he gave you faith to believe Christ, to, to believe his word. You see Christ in it. You love Christ. He, he called you. He's kept you. He's preserved you. He's provided for you. You see his hand of grace everywhere, all through your life, don't you? You'd think after the Lord does something so wonderful for the likes of wretches like you and me, you'd think we'd never forget it. We hear the gospel of God's grace and we hear that salvation is by grace, not our works. And I think I'm never going to trust my works again. I'm never going to think, oh, God's going to bless me because I've been so faithful to do this, that, or the other. I haven't done this and I haven't done this and so-and-so's done this so God's going to bless me and not bless them. I'm never going to think that again because this story of grace in Christ is just too wonderful. And then in two seconds, that's what I'm doing. I forget. I forget. That's why the Lord gave us this to remember Him. That's why He gave us this. The bread and the wine is such a simple, beautiful way to remember the Lord's sacrifice for our sin. This bread represents His broken body. Broken under the rod of God's justice against our sin. Right now, that the bread is just in whole pieces. In a minute, it's going to be real quiet. The men are going to come. They're going to start breaking that bread. You're going to hear it. We're there and pass out that bread. And you're going to take it. And you're going to put it in your mouth. And you're going to start chewing it. You're going to hear it. Our Lord gave us such a simple thing, which is such a stark reminder of how his body was broken and he was ground under God's justice. He suffered that to save me. The wine represents his precious blood, which he shed as an atonement for the sin of God's elect. Put it all away forever. And we're going to be so blessed after we observe this table. And we're going to leave here. I'll speak for myself. Maybe you're not like me, but I'm going to leave here thinking I'm not going to forget again. I'll think I'm never going to be tempted to even look at my works ever again. But we will. Because that old nature that's in us can't look to Christ. Can only look to self and is constantly going to be fighting to make us trust in something that we've done and we're going to forget. But you want some comfort? Now I'm, I'm not telling you it's okay to forget. I'm just telling you that's the facts of life. You want some comfort for when we do forget? Our Savior never forgets. He won't forget you. If he died for you, he won't. Our brother, the thief on the cross, 
be able to tell us all about that one day, won't he? When the Lord said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise, he's going to tell us, that day I was in paradise with him. With him. And it's all because of what this table represents. The broken body, the shed blood, the sacrifice of Christ our Savior. All right, Jonathan, you will you may distribute the bread.